How many New Testament commandments are there? Did you count them? Have you ever counted them? I decided just to scour the internet to see what others have said. And one guy put 180 and he listed 180 of those commandments. Another person had hundreds. He didn't have how many, but it was a lot more than 180. How do you come up with the number? And what would they be? Would we all agree that they are commandments? It's a difficult question. When you go through the Old Testament, you look at the Jews, they're dead on the number. I mean, they're right on it. This is how many there are. There's not really any disagreements among the Jews. These are what they are. And then beside that, they have a number of other commandments that help you to keep those first set of commandments. And it's a long, 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 long list. So we're talking about when Jesus talks about the new commandment and interchanges, when he talks about keeping his commandments, when you can read the Gospel of John, when you read his letters for that matter, let alone the Apostle Paul and his letters and the rest of the Gospels in the New Testament. So we're looking at this new commandment, but we're also looking at it from a standpoint and looking at this concept of New Testament commandments. I believe it's very helpful for us for a number of reasons, because when we look at commandments, they all bring about and conjure up within us different attitudes, like this one right up here. There are many that just despise them, despise commandments because we don't want to be told what to do. And so we despise those commandments. Parents, how many of you feel like you've been despised telling your children what to do at times? <laughs> children despise commandments. The same thing for us as employees with our managers, our bosses. At times, we don't like the commands that they give to us. For whatever the reasons may be, we despise them for that reason. The thing is, we need them. If we didn't have commandments or rules, if you will, for our children, imagine the chaos. Oh, we don't have to imagine. It ha Sometimes... Children just go as if there are no rules. We live in a society where because of the whole concept of despising commandments, we don't have rules for our children. Guess what is happening to our children? Sorry, children. When you become parents, you'll understand this more clearly. It's true. We need them. We want them. We want boundaries, if you will. We want them because otherwise, if, if we see... What goes on, like Lord of the Flies and other types of scenarios where there are no rules, so to speak, you'll just see chaos because we're left to our vices. We ask for them because we want boundaries. We want to know where that safe line is. In fact, even as Christians, we want commandments because we want to know, well, how low should the dress be and the pants and the shorts and and how much do I give? And how often do I come and worship God? And we want all those commandments laid out for us. Make it easy, right? Kind of like the Old Testament, except for we're back to square one about despising those commands. And there's just so much of them. And then we become weary. In fact, that was the issue with the Jews in the Old Testament. Just read Malachi. Very clear. They became weary with all those commandments. Became weary with worshiping God in the way that he had prescribed. And. 
And so these are the various thoughts and attitudes that we have because of these commandments. We're talking about these things because I believe when we look at the mindset of Christians today, it's not very different for many of us like the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, just look at some of them just from the book of Leviticus alone. Look at some of these commandments. If you read the first six chapters of Leviticus, you have all the different kinds of offerings. And within the different types of offerings are the details on what kind of animal, how old the animal is, what gender it is, how you go about slaughtering that animal, preparing it for that sacrifice, and the blood that the priest would use and take and ritually go through that ceremony for whether it's the burnt offering or sin offering or thanksgiving offering or free will offering or the grain offering. And those are just for that alone. You move further into um, the book and you can read of all that was determined to be clean and unclean. If it was an animal that had this kind of hoof and it lived this kind of life, here's how you know if it was a fish with this scenario. I mean, just details. This is where many of us in our Bible readings kind of start going downhill at the beginning of the year. <laughs> get into this or the book of Numbers, particularly when you get into Numbers chapter 15 or before when you get into all the, the different kinds of censuses that are taken. How about just the laws for atonement? All the commandments that are given. Maybe it's Dealing with immorality. Or it could be on idolatry. Or it could be on just priestly duties. We can go on and on. And these are just general categories. Look at all the things. If we were to just go on and on and read through them, it would be just seemingly endless for us. In fact, it was known by the Jews that they would carry on their shoulder the Torah. Pretty heavy. Especially when you don't have rice paper. It's a heavy book. Heavy scroll. It was a great burden. But these are the list of commandments in just a very general way. Imagine reading through them. Memorizing them. Imagine the time our children would be spent. Boys, starting at age five, memorizing the Torah. Word for word. Memorizing them so they could understand the commandments of God so that they would keep them. Because Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 tells us as parents to train up our children that they would know the law. So there's a lot of commandments there that we can read. The question is, are those commandments that we can read of, are they burdensome? Were they burdensome for the Jews? See, the answer is already found in Scripture and we should know what the answer should be, right? We know what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be burdensome. But when you take law after law, like, for instance, the Internal Revenue Code, imagine combing through all the rules. It's endless. It's weird. I mean, you talk about a doorstopper. None like it. That's how many felt about the keeping of all the laws in the Old Testament Scriptures, in the, the Old Covenant. And the thing is, what we learn from Scripture is that everyone has failed. 
I mean, we're not talking about sin itself. We're just talking about keeping certain ceremonial laws. Everyone has become unclean at some point in their lifetime. And it may seem like it was an accident because naturally someone dies before you and you, you're near a dead body and you become unclean. Or you break some other law unintentionally, but you still have to make an offering for that sacrifice. Whatever the situation is, all have failed at law. Law keeping. We go even further, we can see whether it was worship or being ceremonially clean, ceremonially un- or clean, if you will, fail. Civilly, morally pure, failure. Whatever the situation was, it was a fact of life that this is what happened. It's not an excuse for not doing the will of God. It's just a fact that even those that desire doing the will of God have failed. Even Moses, our lawgiver, for those under the old law, even he failed. Was it burdensome? Is the question. As if not enough, as I mentioned earlier, you had all these fence laws. You had all these things to keep you from sinning. And so there was a multitude. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, when you read the first five verses, when Jesus is wanting to share with them some things about their own attitudes and their own lives, he makes it clear of their own traditions. I want you to read these first few verses to get an insight. It says, and then the Pharisees and some of the scribes, these lawyers, or lawyer-like scribes, they came together to him, to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. And now when some saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, and that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, couches. And then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Jesus answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They added their own laws. And the thing is, when you read through the scriptures, you can read how difficult these laws were. We're going to get to Acts chapter 23 later on, where we talk about how burdensome these very laws that they put on themselves, yet the leaders would not even keep having put them on. How burdensome they were to everyone. Do not Christians try to do the same today? Let's be honest. We don't want to sin against God. And so in the purity of our motives, we make sure that we keep these laws. We might even come up with a few of our own to ensure that we don't break those laws. When you read Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul was telling the brethren, listen, This is not new. There are people trying to do the same thing. Trying to do the very thing that the the Pharisees and scribes and other lawyers were guilty of doing in creating these kinds of laws before God. Look at what it says in Colossians 2 beginning in verse 16. Uh, Just mind-boggling that we want to 
get away from that law, which was to bring forth death, or at least an understanding of it. And we do the same thing. The context will go back to um, verse 11, but let's pick up in verse 16. Paul says to the saints at Colossae, let no one judge you in food or drink. Or regarding a festival. Or new moon. Or Sabbaths. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you from your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into things which he has not seen vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, not holding fast to whom? The head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. Which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom. But it's in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, and are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know, there were two extremes. You got the one extreme where everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes from a standpoint of giving into the flesh. And then the others denying everything about the flesh to ensure that you're going to be right with God. They're all man-made stuff. Man-made rules. Things that God had not commanded. But man did and imposed upon one another. Either extreme was no different. Great burden. So we're talking about New Testament commandments then. What do the scriptures teach? What's revealed? If we were to go through all the different things and the different ways that we could find out uh, the commandments, we'd have to do a study on hermeneutics. And I guarantee you right now, you do a study worldwide... Not everyone's going to agree on the hermeneutical system. You'll have pockets, and everyone agree within the pocket. Yet, this is the kind of hermeneutics we have. And even within that pocket, while we all agree with the system, we don't all agree with the application of the practice of that hermeneutical system. That's a reality. It's a fact, because that's why we have so many among churches of Christ splits. Within conservative churches of Christ splits. That's the reality. It happens. We don't want to talk that way, but that's the reality. Look at some of the ways. If we, all we did were take actual commands, we took imperatives. So those of you who are English individuals and you know what imperatives are, these are, well, charges, orders, if you will. That's the, the way in which the statement is, is given in the form of a command. So if we look at commands from Jesus or his apostles, like, for instance, go, therefore, make disciples. Simple enough. We know what they are. And we can agree that that's what we should do is take all those commands. Well, we go further. And there are sometimes statements of truth, like in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, where we have the works of the flesh. Verse 19, verse 20, verse 21. And he says in verse 21... That those who practice these things will inherit 
Guess what? They'll inherit. God's damnation. So, what's implied is, you do these things, you lose your soul. Conversely, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, if you do these things against such, there is no law. The opposite is true. You inherit the kingdom of heaven. So you got these statements of truth. The thing and the problem is that when we talk about context and look at these commands, we'll say, well, you know, that command was only for first century Christians. And other brethren say, uh-uh. And we have debates then. And sometimes we divide over these very things. First Corinthians 11, with the men. I remember when I was at camp about 20 years ago um, in, in the Ozarks. And the, every time, just before the prayer, we hear some man from some, somewhere saying, hats off, boys. Verse 4. And if the men have their head covered, that's shameful. Converse for, for the women to be uncovered. And so now we have, here in the South, the head covering issue among brethren. It's debated. The, the statements of truth are there. How about long hair? In the very same breath. Do we withdraw from our, our sisters in Christ because they have short hair? I see elders' wives with short hair. Sorry, ladies. How about foot washing? First Timothy chapter five, verse nine. You know, who's indeed a widow? Well, among things she should be washing feet. That's a statement there. The context. How do we determine that foot washing was something? Well, we could read John 13, didn't Jesus wash feet and says, follow my example? And that was an imperative statement. So you got an imperative with the foot washing. And then we got another passage with foot washing. I don't see us practicing that today. So the thing is, we've got all these kinds of things that we agree on a hermeneutical system. Most of us, if not all of us here would. But in the application, even if we agreed with the system, we don't all agree upon so how do you find what those commandments are? How do you know how many there are? Furthermore, we talk about biblically, biblically binding examples or apostolically approved examples. How do, we, how do we know what passages are binding upon us? We see one passage and we say, that's what we need to do. We see another passage, that's not what we need to do. For instance, Acts 13, verse 2, about brethren fasting. If the brethren fasted in the first century, should we fast? Jesus talked, talked about fasting. Do we fast? Are we having sermons about fasting and, and teaching it like giving on the first day of the week? Like coming together on the first day of the week? Do we teach about in this way? I don't hear it. I'm not teaching it that way. <laughs> I don't know if Edwin or Mike or Mike or, yep, yeah, <laughs> before. I don't know, Phil, when he was here preaching four months, taught on fasting or any of these other things. You know, how do we know what commands to follow? Let me suggest to you that when you study up on commands and you actually look up that, that word for command, there's all kinds of Greek words for them, but one of the main ones is entole. And in this word, it's just simply commandment. That's how it's in, in our translations, whatever translation you have. That's typically the word given for it. And when we look at this, you're going to find a pattern, I believe, 
And I believe that pattern is very clear. In fact, when you go to Matthew chapter 5, I want you to look at what's being said here in, in chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, because here's the word commandments being used. And then we're going to go down this list and see how it's applied through Scripture. And let's see if maybe we can make some sense into what these New Testament commandments are. And mind you, it's going to be broader. I'm going to just let you know right now. The commandments, if you want to get down to commandments, are broader than what I'm speaking of here. Because even Jerry this morning talked about the Lord's command for us to partake of the supper. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So... It's beyond what I'm saying, but there's going to be an overriding theme on commandments in the New Testament. All right, let me get to Matthew 5. Let's read here in verse 17 following. It says, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So for whatever the grammatical is it before or after, he says, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments. And I think he's talking about what's he, what he's going to be talking about, personally. What's ensuing. We'll find out what those commandments are. Look at what he, what he uses as an illustration when we talk about these, these commands. In verse 21, You have heard that it was said, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, so you have, here's... What you've heard, that it was said, but I say to you, here's my teaching. Don't have murderous anger. I'm paraphrasing. That's what he's saying here. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, as the New King James translates, shall be in danger of the judgment. So don't have this murderous anger. In fact, he goes on to say, instead of that, reconcile. Verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. So he says, you've heard that it was said, uh, say, thou shalt not murder. I'm telling you right now, don't have murder in your heart. And in fact, not only that, reconcile if you have something against someone else. Look at the next one. There's a pattern here. I hope, you, I hope you're going to see it. Don't lust after one another. You have heard that it was said, if you will, verse 27. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. All right? So here is the law. But I'm telling you, here's the new commandment, if you will. Don't even lust after her in your own heart. In fact, he goes one step further and says, do whatever it takes for you not to commit that sin of immorality. If your eye causes you to sin, or your hand, you take care of it. Don't sin. He goes further. Giving on verse 31 about divorce. Don't divorce unless for adultery, he says. 
Don't marry someone who you have no right to. In other words, marry someone who, who has been divorced. That's his word. He goes on and on. Where do you get these from? Think. Where do these come from? Go back to Exodus. Can you read those commandments? He chose these particular ones. When you talk about those quote-unquote Ten Commandments, whether whether it's Exodus 19, 20, or 21, or you go into chapter 32, or read Deuteronomy and reiterations of them, there was a lawyer that came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what is the great commandment? He said, How do you read the law? He got right to the, the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he summarizes these commandments about relationship with God and a relationship with others. And Jesus is saying, your righteousness needs to exceed those of the Pharisees and the scribes. You have heard that it was said, but I'm telling you, and look at what he's getting at. Relationships with one another. That's what he's teaching right now. There's something greater at at stake here, but I just want to start off with this. Here's what we're looking at. These kinds of commands. Now, when we go further... Notice the picture. We can get into all the thou shalt and thou shalt not. And then and as we look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the opposite, the contrast of this murderous anger is reconciliation. What do you need for that? Long-suffering, you need patience, you need love, so on and so forth. Fruit of the Spirit. You get the idea as you go on through Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, how are, how are we supposed to treat one another? You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what did we read, or what did Michael read for us in John 13? Are we supposed to love one another like we love ourselves? Whoever said no is right. <laughs> no, Jesus was teaching something greater than that. Go back to John 13. And let's see if we can get this. Go to John 13, and then we'll look at Romans 13, which is basically going to say the same thing, the fulfillment of this law. Back in John 13. Verse 31. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified with Him. If God is glorified in Him, will... He not also glorify him in himself, or excuse me, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Don't love someone the way you want to be loved. <laughs> You love them the way I loved you. There's a new commandment I'm giving to you. There's a new standard that you have. I am your standard. You want to see how to live, how to keep my commandments? John 12, when you read verse 48 following. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love one another. 
Whatever the situation is, it's loving like Jesus toward others. That's why in Romans chapter 13, when, when Paul is getting to the, the end of his letter to the saints at Rome, he says, this is how the law is fulfilled. The law, the, the law that we have in Christ, love one another. That's what he's saying in, in chapter 13, verse 9 and 10. We cannot, brethren, and I want to say this as clearly as I can, you cannot overemphasize love. We can talk about having a balance. That's important. The balance is this. Love one another. Everything will fall into place. But you love one another as Christ loved you. When you practice that fruit of the Spirit, when you practice these things, you are fulfilling the law. You're fulfilling the commandment of the Lord. But let's go further so that this is very clear and it's scripturally seen, if you will. Looking at Scripture, how it's summed up. The commandments are summed up by the Apostle John all throughout his Gospel and his letters. If you read the Gospel of John and then you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's going to be saying the same exact thing. Very redundant, if you will. All throughout his letters. John 13 again. Love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. It's one thing to simply do good and be good. Anyone can do that. It's another, in service to God, to love the way Jesus loved. And that's what he's telling them. When you love one another, then everyone will see that you are my disciples. He goes further. In chapter 14, continuing this very thought, this, this is called, I, I forget the, the term used for it, but when you go from chapter 13 and read verses 31 following, this is the love section, if you will, in the farewell of, of John's gospel. And when you continue through that paragraph of information, he continues with the thought. He says in verse 1 of chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Wait, he was just talking about love. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have not. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So he's saying to them, love one another. Believe in me like you believe in the father. Okay. Go on further. Verse six. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So you need to believe on Jesus then. And you need to love one another. He goes even further. Look at how, how he affirms this. We can read 1 John chapter 1, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 7. Go into chapter 3 and starting in verse 2 um, and then reading through verse 23. 1 John is full. This whole theme of keeping the commandments is found in 1 John. What does he say in, in chapter 3, verse 23? 1 John chapter 3 tells us real clearly in verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. This is His commandment. Believe on Jesus and love one another. Makes that very clear. Chapter 4, verse 17. He says, love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so we are in this world. I mean, back up to verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You believe in God, you have a relationship with Him, and you love one another. Second John, we use the passage in verses 9, 10, and 11 about 
those who do not abide in the doctrine of Christ, what is he talking about? Look at Second John. Beginning in verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. Okay? He's talking about this truth. Just as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have heard or had from the beginning. From the John chapter 13. That we love one another. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. That as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Well, what is he talking about? I mean, some people are saying, is he, subo- is he commanding them to keep his commandments? Is he commanding them to walk in love? Is he commanding them to abide in truth? What's the command? Well, you go study, but I think it's truth. <laughs> and he goes on telling us how we abide in this truth. And so in verse 7 he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. There are those that do not believe in Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. What is the commandment? Believe in Jesus. Love one another. There are those who break this commandment. Don't believe that he's coming in the flesh. There are those that don't believe that he was raised up from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15. He goes on to say that those do not confess that Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for. What was it that Paul was preaching all those years? That Jesus is the Christ. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Savior. Those who do not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. What is this apostle saying? That you believe in Jesus. And there are those that are not teaching that, not believing that. They're going to lose their souls. These are Christians going to lose their souls. What have we used that passage for? Everything else under the sun. Everything under the sun. We apply that doctrine of Christ to every nuance of rules that man even makes up in the name of sound doctrine. What is it that John is teaching us? Well, we're told that whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father, loves the child, is born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe His commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And what does He say? His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 5, verses 1 and 3. That's what we're told. All right. When we look at this summary, then, we can see a number of things. That His commandments, when you go through the whole New Testament and and look at the teachings about the commandments, it seems pretty light and shallow. So the question is, how do you feel about a lot of these things? I've talked to too many brethren now in 20 years. Many feel burdened. All the rules that we've set upon ourselves over the years. It's kind of like the Internal Revenue Code. It gets more and more heavy as the years go on. That's how it feels among so many. Not that commandments and rules are not important. They are extremely important. It's fundamental. 
But can you even think of a passage about being burdened and weary and what Jesus said himself? Does any come to your mind? Are you burdened from, from sin? The law? Hebrews 12 tells us to lay aside every weight. The sin that ensnares us, that weighs us down. Lay it aside. And what? Look to Jesus. That's a commandment. Look to Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. That's what this writer is saying. So, when you get us... Get away from the sin, selfish or selfishness, and you lay that aside. What's left in following Jesus but becoming selfless? That's what you do. Give thanks to Jesus. We're told in, in Romans chapter 7, verse, verse 10, and then verses 24 and 25. Look at what the text here. In fact, Romans 7 is a great passage. The entire chapter is for this. But verse 10 tells us, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Acts 23, verse 4. About the, the commandments that many of the, the leaders among Jews would lay upon brethren. The burdensome, the weight of the law that they themselves would not even practice. All those laws. Paul was saying, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had not said, thou shalt not covet. If the law didn't say that, I would not have known covetousness. But when I learned what covetousness was, I saw my guilt. I was guilty of practicing it. And then many such things, and he says, now the law is good, and as much as I love the law, I don't always practice it. And the thing that I hate, which is sin, that I do. In verse 24, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? That's what the law has done to him. It does it to every one of us. What's the commandment? Believe in Jesus and love the way He did. That's why He says, thanks be to God, that with my mind, I serve the law of God and with the flesh, the law of sin. Go further. Jesus calls us to Him. In Matthew 11, verse 28, the passage I was wanting you to get on your own. All you who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that when you come to me, you have no burden. It's easy. The commands of Jesus are to me infinitely more difficult than the old law. I mean, how easy, if you want to be um, relative, how easy is it to be guilty of some sin and then you can go get you a, a lamb that's a year old and use it for some blood sacrifice? When Jesus tells us to do things that are far greater than what even the old law taught you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, your righteousness needs to exceed the Pharisees. How hard is it to be a Christian? It, it, it's hard when you actually give yourself to the Lord because I admit to you, brethren, I, I admit from the bottom of my heart, I am selfish. I'm full of pride, and I'm not saying that with false humility. These are things that I struggle with. And you have your own struggles. I think it's hard being a Christian from that standpoint. 
Because I'd rather be selfish. It's easier. It's more convenient. It's hard to give my life to the Lord. The thing that makes His burden light is not, we're not weighed down with the commandments that the old law reveals and that many try to bring into the new covenant. We're not weighed down with the sin from the standpoint that it was paid for us. Brethren, that's the gospel. That's the good news. It's a very simple message. Not that difficult to understand. That Jesus paid that price does not give us license to sin. Romans 6 verse 1 following tells us that. What the gospel does is it allows us to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. To be just like Him. And that's why people can have their heads turned around when they look at you and go, wait a second, that's not the person I knew. How is it that you're so radically different? Because I'm in Christ. He's given me freedom in Him. And joy in Him. And His commandments are not burdensome. I can follow Him. That's what Jesus calls. He calls us to Him. Not to the law. Brethren, you get this. You get an understanding, I think, that brings you closer to God. You have law, but you're not called to law. You're called to a new covenant. And with this new covenant, you're called to be like Jesus. You're called to abide in Jesus. And His teaching is to follow after Him. That's why First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 and verse 3 tells us that His commandments are not burdensome. His burden is light in contrast to what we were talking about, Acts 23 and verse 4. Or Acts 15 in verse 10, when Paul said, or excuse me, the elders at Jerusalem said to the Gentiles up in Antioch of Syria, and we lay no other such burden upon you. You're not Jews. We're not going to have the laws from the Jews placed upon your life. No such burden. You're a New Testament Christian. Those who abide in that teaching, in the doctrine of Christ, in the, the commandment that He said, the new commandment that Jesus talked about, and abide in these commandments, believe on Jesus, and that belief is not just this mental belief, but you are giving your life to Him. And that you see that you live like the Lord, this is His promise. I give you rest. You know, when, when Jesus made that statement in Matthew 11, verse 28, it was with the mind of many Jews who were so heavily burdened by law. And all the laws beyond the law of Moses that they made up. Are you weary like that? There are many Christians under the New Covenant that are just like this, weary. Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. I will lighten your burden. Because following me is not burdensome. And so, here's what Christ demands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You've heard that the law said, love your neighbor like yourself. Jesus says, love your neighbor like I love him and how I love you. Makes it very clear. Unlike sin and death and law, which brings about burden, our burden is light in Christ. Because we're working for salvation. Not the kind of work that you think. The kind of work that lets everyone know how wonderful our God is. And the good news brings people to our wonderful God.
so that when we come here and we sing songs, it's not because we've got a law, so I've got to fulfill this law. It's because we want to rejoice in our Lord and we want to build each other up. That's why every joint and ligament sharing with one another and for one another builds each other up in Him, in Christ. That's the fulfillment of the law. If all we are are a bunch of law keepers, brethren, we miss the point of the new covenant. Brethren, if all we are are law keepers, we miss the point of the new covenant. And I want to say it one more time because I cannot say this enough. Brethren, if all we are are law keepers, we miss the point of the new covenant. Brethren, too many of us are missing it. Too many of us are stuck on the hermeneutic and not on the living. I'm not saying that hermeneutics are not unimportant. They're very important to us. We need to live for the Lord. We need to abide in Him. We need to love one another. And cannot say it enough, when you look at the Scriptures and look at the commandments, when the commandments are given, explicit commandments... That's what you're seeing. That's what you're reading. We just read a fraction of them this morning. That's what's there for us. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Read 1 John today. Read it. Then when you go back and read the Gospel of John, it'll be very consistent. Read what He meant when He says this. His commandments are not burdensome. These New Testament commandments that we have, are not. They're to bring, up, to bring life, not death, like Romans chapter 7 verse 10 tells us. So I'm asking you to do that this morning.